Hello everyone. Um, I, I do come from Dubai. I left there on uh, whatever day it was, Thursday I think. It was 50 degrees Celsius the day that I left. It was, so I'm genuinely enjoying this beautiful weather that you're having here in Zimbabwe. I sent photographs back to my friends this morning of the blue sky because uh, over summer in Dubai our sky turns white. It just, uh, I don't know if it's the sand or just the unbelievable heat, but you just actually, there's no clouds, but the sky is white throughout the whole summer. So one of my favorite things is to come back over our African winter and see these incredibly deep blue skies that God gives us. And uh, so, as I said, I sent photographs back to provoke jealously. Um, we've, had a, we've had an interesting season in the church in Dubai. The, the government there has um, really making it difficult for churches to meet. Um, at one point, it just seemed like things were opening up and churches were meeting in schools and hotels and quite freely. And uh, they've, over the last kind of six months, have, have kicked all the churches out of the schools. They're um, telling them they can't meet in hotels. And they're telling us there's two church compounds in the whole of Dubai. There's four million people in Dubai. And they're telling all the churches they've got to meet in these two compounds. And already, there's, uh, the one compound is a hundred and something thousand people that gather there on a Friday um, of every you know, kind of vein of uh, Christianity. And, um, and there's probably another 200,000 Christians that they can't possibly fit into those compounds. And we're not entirely sure what's going on. We do know that there is a spiritual enemy that we're fighting. And so we're not taking our battle against the Muslims. We're not picketing or anything like that. And we, by God's grace, have been incredibly sheltered. We rented a warehouse a couple of years ago. It's right in the back end of an industrial park. You can stand two feet from our building and you would not know there's a church inside. It just looks like a warehouse. But once you open the door, it is like you've entered into heaven. Yeah. And so I want to invite you to come and uh, visit us in Dubai and come see what's happening. We've got a, God is doing an amazing work. And... Uh, We've been journeying um, towards um, Pentecost, which takes place, Pentecost Sunday is next Sunday um, during the day, obviously, and it's, a, it's remembering what took place, what we read about in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon God's people. Some call it the birth of the church, and I think it is, and uh, I want to spend a bit of time today actually talking about that, and I want to say this. I am going to pray at the end of this meeting for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm assuming if you normal people, some of you are thinking, fantastic. And some, some of you are thinking, oh no, that's the last thing in the world I want. I, I've seen what happens when some of this stuff begins to take place. People speak in tongues and weird language or they shake or fall. And I just, I, I, I don't want any of that stuff. And uh, I know how you feel. And I, I can remember the first time I walked into a church it was in Durban, and everyone was speaking in tongues. I remember walking going, what the hang is going on here? You know? And, uh, and I'll hopefully today as I speak, I'm going to stir you up to understand that both, that this is, there's this hunger for the Holy Spirit and the desire to be filled with Him is both something that God wants us to carry and it's necessary for the, the walk that He's called us to live out. And um, I want to start off this morning, if I can, by reading Acts chapter 10, verse 37 and 38, and uh, we'll have some slides up on, so if you don't have your Bibles here, you can read behind me. And it says this, Luke writing, obviously, it says, You yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were pressed by the devil, for God was with him. The kingdom of God is not some passive religion. It's not, not a philosophy. It's amazing. As the sound guy gets up, everything goes crazy. still on. There we go. I didn't even turn myself off. Um, so uh, we, we, this is not a philosophy. There's, there's a guy I was telling Vesian Sumin that I've, I've really enjoyed listening to over the last while on, on YouTube. He's a Canadian clinical psychologist. <laughs> it's actually you, Bruce. Whenever you move, it starts. You just have to sit there and not move the whole meeting. Um, 
And uh, I, I love listening to this guy because he's incredibly clear-thinking, intellectual, but he's just a philosopher, really. He's, he's speaking human truths. But we, we are, I'm convinced, and we know from Scripture, that we live in a, a world where the spiritual reality is higher than the material, physical reality around us. And um, I've had the privilege in my walk with God to see this take place, and I'm sure you have yourself in your own lives. I, we, we see it take place when people get saved. I, was a, um, I know the kind of man that I was. I've, I've got enough insight to be able to see myself and to understand what I was capable of. And then one day Christ breaks into my life and uh, I, like, I look down the road of where I could have gone without Christ and I look down the road that I walk with Him and I can take no, there's no pride in me for the change that's taking place. This is what Jesus has done in me. And so my wife is unbelievably grateful that I got saved because I cannot imagine what I would have been like without the Lord. Well, I can imagine, and my wife can imagine as well. But that radical shift is the work of God in our lives. You can't change like that um, through philosophy, and you can't change like that through personal resolve. The change has to come by the inner working of the Spirit through us. I've also had the privilege, I was in Lutuchani a couple of months ago when I was up here. We went to go visit a church that we had helped plant, I don't know, like 10 years ago, I think. And on, while I was there, there was one of the, the elder statesmen of that village came to me and he opened his Bible and there was a photograph of me with a young girl in, that, uh, in his book, a young um, girl from the village there. And he reminded me of what had taken place. He didn't need to. I'll, I'll never forget this. I, when I tell the story, I don't want you to think that this is like common occurrence in my life. Like I'm this incredible man of God and this happens all the time. It's, that can be so easy seen when people start telling the stories of God moving. It's like, this is my highlights package okay, that I'm giving you. There's a lot of other stuff that goes on as well. But um, we were out there. We'd been ministering for a couple of days, and we were packing up to go. And they asked us if we would just pray for the sick before we left. And they brought along this little girl. She must have been five or six, I suppose. And she was uh, mute. She hadn't spoken since her birth, and she was deaf. And... Uh, when they brought it through to be prayed, I was on top of this Land Rover, packing everything on top of it like this, and I had a sense like God wants to heal this girl. Mm. Nothing, like no, like my spider senses weren't going off, my Holy Spirit senses, anything like that. It was just, I just felt in myself, God wants to heal this girl. And so the team that were with us began to pray for people like this while I finished tying up the stuff, and I climbed down and I said to one of the ladies there, I said, have you prayed for her? And she said, I have, but nothing happened. Why don't you pray for her as well? And so I began to pray for her, and again, it wasn't anything, it wasn't fire poured out from heaven, it was just a prayer of confidence in God and who He was. And in that moment, this girl who had never spoken and never heard before, something began, began to take place. And so, I, you know, the normal thing, you kind of see if she can carry her on the side, and she seemed like she could, and so I called her, she was being raised by a grandmother, I called her grandmother across, and I said to her, what is her name? And she told me what her name was, and I asked this little girl if she could say her name out. And she squeaked out this name. And obviously we were like, what? What is going on here? And then she said it again, and then she shouted out, Viola, Viola, Viola is her name. And uh, this old man reminded me because this girl was set free from something that had held her in bondage um, for that portion of her life. And without the working of the Spirit of God in her life would have remained in that bondage as well. One a year ago, I was, or maybe a bit further than that, I was in Sri Lanka, and I was in a church in, in Nagambo praying for um, one of the... Uh, we were ministering there, and, and one guy came up with his wife, and he said to me, um, I'm a Christian, my wife is a Hindu, she doesn't speak any English, but uh, it just seems like I can never, we can never move forward, she can't be free, would you mind praying for her? And I love praying for people anytime, because I do believe in the power of God, and so... It's, I can offer you nothing, but who knows what God wants to do. And if we can get our hands on people and pray for them, it's fantastic. So I said, oh, well, great, we'll pray for her. And we began to pray for this woman, and it became apparent that there was something like a, something holding her in her life like this. And then this kind of spooky moment took place where she said to me in English, remember she doesn't speak English, she said, this is what she said to me, leave me alone, leave, leave her alone, she's mine. And said again, leave her alone, she's mine. And uh, obviously there was a demon speaking through her. We began to pray and pray and pray over her. And I think we prayed for about an hour and a half until she was completely set free. She received Christ as her Lord and Savior and began, uh, began this wonderful journey of walking with Him. 
And it's so easy for us to see Christianity as something that takes place on the outside, like it's the clothes we wear or the songs we sing or where we gather and, and uh, the kind of culture that we live in when actually Christianity is something much more than that. I, I love nothing more than preaching about Jesus Christ. I, I genuinely, even this morning I'm thinking like, maybe I'll just shift the cross and preach about the cross and the grace of Christ again because it's, it is... I, I, I move to tears as we sing about this grace that flows over us. It is the most extraordinary miracle that we who were far off, that we who were lost have been found and brought near and become as sons and daughters. But the disciples didn't finish their journey at the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. He told them that something else was coming, something else would happen. And he, he, he got them to wait in anticipation and expectation for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. And it wasn't for them only, it's for us too. And I love this quote from John G. Lake, a man who walked in extraordinary power. He said, Christianity was never meant to be anything but an outpouring of the Spirit. It is a reviving, quickening, renewing energy. Revival is not an extraordinary work beyond normal Christianity. Christianity is revival. And friends, I know that takes many forms. It's, revival can be when the husband finally realizes he has to share in the chores and goes and washes some dishes. And I, I remember hearing a preacher and some of the most spiritual things we can do, and it was like some really practical things, like when you clip your toenails, pick up the pieces and things like that. You know. But there is, but there is the, the reviving work of the Holy Spirit that Christ intends to work through us because He demonstrated it. Wherever he went, the kingdom of darkness or the dominion of darkness and the kingdom of light clashed together. And from that scripture I read, he went around doing good and destroying the works of the evil one. And that's what he has called us to do as well. In John 17, I mentioned the scripture this weekend and verse 4, Jesus is praying his high, his high priestly prayer shortly before his crucifixion. It's kind of, uh, he's, he's speaking to the Father and he says, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And that work, he says, in verse 6, he tells us what it is. I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. And we are called to participate in this revealing work. That's what God wants to happen through our lives. Is he has to be revealed through our lives. Both the inward work of the Holy Spirit that I spoke about this weekend, when the Spirit comes to us and shifts things around in us and, and breaks off chains. I, I spoke on Friday night about um, what the Holy Spirit does in restoring us to our, in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. I've watched men that have come to Christ and struggle, and not just men, men and women, and struggle in their relationship with God the Father because their earthly father had left such a deficit in their life. Sometimes by being intentionally abusive and sometimes just by being negligent or careless or whatever it is. We are imperfect as fathers, aren't we? But that is such a profoundly important part of our lives that, that I have, I cannot tell you how many men I've sat with that are 30 or 40 or 50 years old are tr still trying to prove to their father that they're good enough. They're still trying to prove their father that they, they were wrong. And what they're trying to earn is the, the approval of their dad. I mentioned I sat with a a man had watching my son play soccer in Dubai the other day. He's an unbeliever, and he was telling me about his son and how his son doesn't have a killer instinct in football, and he doesn't. Um, but he told me how his dad was like such a, like an aggressive sportsman. Whatever he did, he got to the top of it, you know. And he said, he, he spoke about how he was never good enough. He never met the standards of his dad. And, and even his, his own son, his, he was playing tennis with his, with his um, father and his son, and his son hit the ball over the net and it was a decent shot. And he said to his son, hey, Josh, great shot. And the father shouted from the other side of the net. He says, you're dreaming. There was, there was nothing good about that. You know, it's, like, it's like you're standing. And he says, I'm still trying to win his approval. And he's, he's like 45 years old, so he's still trying to win his approval. And part of the inward working of the Holy Spirit is he comes in, as he, he comes in and heals and restores. And that's why it says in Romans that the spirit of sonship is poured into us so that we can cry, Abba, Father. And so many of us that have become crusty and grumpy and, and we just we can't be free and we, 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 we don't know how to hug our own children and kiss our own children. We don't know how to be vulnerable. It's because we've, we, something needs to be done. And the Spirit of God is the one that does that inside of us, friends. And uh, we spoke also about the outward working of the Holy Spirit. He's, he comes into us to work and then flow through us. And both of those things ought to be seen by the world around us. 
The world should be able to come, somebody in your office or your, your, your whatever rugby group or cycling group or somebody should come and go, something's changed in you. There's something about you. And uh, I remember when I used to work at Deloitte's, we had these fishbowl offices where, you know, they had glass all around like this. And um, I had been a skabenga. No, they would, hey. Like, uh, before I came to know the Lord. So my first couple of years of working, I, I, I gave it horns being bad. You know what I mean? I was just lived life to the fullest as I could. I, didn't, I wasn't following the Lord. And then I came to know the Lord. And I continued to live life fully, but the, but the same baggage was no longer there. And I had people, I was a junior manager in the firm, I had people coming and knocking on my door all the time. This crisis has happened in my life. Can I come talk to you? This has happened in my life. Can I come talk to you? And it's because the inner working of God is being revealed and the outer working was taking place. We, we uh, ran an alpha course with, with half of the guys that worked in my department. And uh, we saw most of them... Um, give their lives to the Lord and get baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit that weekend as they came. That's what God wants to be working through our lives into the world. And so I want to talk about two things. Number one is that we cannot control the Holy Spirit. We cannot control what He does. And uh, number two is what our response um, to, to this ought to be. There's a, uh, this quote from Andrew Murray who says, The Holy Spirit is not a power that is any sense subordinate to us, that is entrusted to us and that we must use. He is a power that is over and above us, that possesses and energizes us, a power by which Jesus in heaven will carry forward his work from moment to moment. And sometimes we talk about the Holy Spirit like he's like um, a superpower that we can have. Like, I just need that power, and then I'll be able to do... No, no. It's not that we, in a sense, have the Holy Spirit and we control that power. It's that He comes into us and He controls us, and He then works through our lives. And actually, for me, that takes the pressure off us. It's not me performing. I don't, I, I just, I'm just a man. I'm an ordinary man. That's what Elijah it says about Elijah. He was just an ordinary man. But when he prayed, the clouds um, went away, and, and there was no rain. And when he prayed again, the rain fell. God wants to do his miraculous working power through ordinary men and women like us. And uh, sometimes it means that the Holy Spirit will do things that we don't understand and that we're not comfortable with. I was praying for that woman I told you about in Sri Lanka. And uh, when I prayed for people to be delivered, sometimes some strange things you can imagine take place. Some of you probably would have seen them. Sometimes people cough as the demon's coming out like this weird gagging kind of cough. And then sometimes people vomit. And it's so gross. You know what I mean? I, so, like, I'm uh, praying for her and I realize that this, something's gonna, going on. I've prayed for people before this happens. So I say to the guy with me, he's one of my elders, to run and get a bucket or something. So he goes off dutifully and gets the bucket and he's holding it there like this. And we're praying and praying and suddenly, <laughs> into this bucket. And he's holding the bucket and suddenly, he, <laughs> he's like this. <laughs> he's, oh, he's like looking away like this. So he, he leaves gives the bucket to somebody else, and he comes and he stands behind me and kind of prays over my shoulder like this now. And uh, I said to him after, I said, John, did you, did you, I told you the bucket because she was in a vomit, what did you think was going to happen? He said, I thought it was symbolic. I thought there would be, and, uh, and it is, it's gross. And it's like, and, and I just literally, a couple of days before I left Dubai, one of the ladies brought this Iranian guy, and he's uh, raised a Muslim, Muslim, but also with occult, he had come because he thinks his wife is using black magic on him. And I prayed for him a few years before. And uh, he came and sat with us. And we began to pray for him for, for deliverance to take place as well. And uh, while I'm praying, I'm seeing his muscles tensing like this. And I, I remember friends telling me that when you pray for deliverance, keep your eyes open. You know, pray and watch, the Lord says. Because you might need a duck. And um, so we're praying for him. And he also starts vomiting like this. He vomited six times while we were praying for him. But he says to me, halfway through the thing, he stops and he goes, he says, there's something inside of me that just wants to hit you in your face as hard as I can. He says, and I'm fighting it, and I'm fighting it. And I said, thank you so much, you know. <laughs> but, Matt, but there are things that, that, that happen when the Holy Spirit is at work that we're uncomfortable with. And, uh, and I know there can be fleshly imitations of it. Of course, whenever God moves, somebody begins to, you know, I want to be the center of attention. But it doesn't mean because these imitations and uh, because some people are trying to draw attention to themselves that we should be uh, offended or fearful about actually engaging with God and allowing Him to encounter us. 
There's nothing that God will do in your life that won't leave you feeling stronger, more whole, more complete, even in those moments because we have this fear. They say one of the greatest fears we have is the fear of being embarrassed. It's it's one of our great fears. And God comes in a way that leaves us vulnerable to being embarrassed. And so some of us actually begin to put up no entry signs to this wonder-working power of God because we're fearful about what will happen if this or that or this or that happens to me. And so we begin to stop him. The truth is, though, that the Holy Spirit's work is not from the outside in, it's from the inside out. See, it's law and religion that wants to do an outside thing only. And so it changes our... So I think some, when people are operating in the flesh and, uh, you know, whatever, whatever manifestation that they begin to walk in that becomes uh, the attention-seeking moment and people go, wow, that person must be so spiritual because their, their hand's shaking as they begin to pray or whatever it is. You know? And I think some people's hands do shake. I think some people shake their hands so they can seem more spiritual or whatever it is. But it's, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not the, the point of the work of the Holy Spirit. The point of the work of the Holy Spirit is what takes place inside of us. And sometimes when He comes and He's doing an incredible work in us, we do begin to manifest in a way that, we, that is not normal and not like how we would conduct ourselves in, in normal life. Maybe we do fall to the floor. Maybe we do groan as the, as the Spirit of God begins to undo things. I find when the Holy Spirit begins to minister to me, I cry like a baby. I mean, honestly, I just I begin to sob and, and, I, and I'm trying to control it and like, it's, it's just, I don't, you know, I don't want to just let it go because it sounds so ridiculous and, and some people laugh and some people shake and and we've got to, what matters is, is what, we, what work the Holy Spirit finishes when we get up. Is there something we've been set free from? Have our eyes been opened to see Him more clearly? I was telling Vesti about, um, I was in Jordan a couple of years ago at a conference, and uh, I can't remember all that was going on in my life, um, but it was, I w- it was unexpected what took place that, that evening. We were having, there was a bunch of guys from around the world it was around the Holy Spirit. We were gathering around to see how... It's amazing. In, in the Middle East, there's probably less than a dozen, excluding Egypt, in the whole of the Middle East, there's probably less than a dozen spirit-filled Arab churches. Unbelievable, eh? In the whole Middle East. And uh, we, we understand how profoundly important the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is in our lives, in the lives of our churches, and yet there's so many people that say, we want to worship Jesus, but we don't want any... any uh, to. Uh, see any baptism of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit being operated. And as we sat there that evening, I suddenly, the Holy Spirit come upon me in a way that I've never encountered before and I've never encountered since. And um, it was like, you know, like when you look and you, you look through seawater and it's all salty and sandy and you can't really see what's below it. And then um, you go somewhere else and the water is like crystal, crystal clear. You look down and it's almost like everything's magnified. You see the sand particles, you see the shells, you see the stones so clearly. And I felt like, like any sort of um, vagueness or lack of clarity just moved aside. And for a moment, I could see God with my spiritual eyes. Uh, some, something opened. I was completely undone as I sat. I sat in my chair with my elbows on the desk like this, with people milling around me and God doing a work inside of me that... At that moment, I truly I felt, I felt like I could understand something of the value of God, how precious and wonderful He is. Now in the Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. But that moment as I sat there, I realized that, God, you are infinitely more precious than my wife. You are infinitely more precious than my children. You are infinitely more precious than my reputation. You are infinitely more precious than my life. It was like everything ordered for that moment. And I, like, I, was, I couldn't believe the clarity that came upon me as I sat there. And I went down, I, I, I left the room, I went down, I sat on the edge of the Dead Sea there, and I, and I, just, I was praying for God to come and just continue this. And, and just, I wanted, I wanted hours of this. I wanted to be completely undone by this. And that five or ten minutes that I sat in the room was, was what I got. But God was doing something so profound inside of me that was changing me. 
And friends, we don't need to worry about what the external manifestations are like. We need to worry about the change that takes place when He comes into us. And so when we pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not like we're going after particular manifestations because we, we, we don't want to... He's not here for our entertainment. He's not here, as I said the other night, to make our churches more exciting. It's like, well, we're sick and tired of sitting and listening to someone preach. It'd be really nice if you know, maybe somebody could levitate or bounce out their chairs or whatever it is. You know, it's like, that would be amazing. And I've got to admit, that would be interesting to watch any of these things take place. But it wouldn't matter if what we're not seeing is the change that takes place inside of us, which is the wholeness, which is sonship, and, and, and women also are sons as well. So, um, because men are the bride of Christ, and so we share this whole thing. But, but sonship coming into us and wholeness, and then from us a boldness to proclaim the gospel. This gospel that has affected our life is the most precious and wonderful thing, and we carry it, and there's a lost world out there that needs to hear that gospel as well. One of the things we have to accept that it is impossible to press the operation of the Holy Spirit into a mold. I can't tell you what he I can't tell him what he must do and I can't tell him what he mustn't do. We can only open ourselves up to his working in our lives. And one of the worst things that we can do is allow fear or offense to cause us to put up the no entry signs in our lives. In uh, Luke 7 verse 22 and 23, Jesus is um, the, John the Baptist has sent his disciples to ask him if he's the one and he says this, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. The poor of good news preach to them. And he says this in verse 23, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus offends everyone, friends. He offends the religious. He offended the Pharisees by, uh, uh, by, by telling them that they were powerless. He offends the Sadducees by telling them that there is life after death. He offends even his own disciples when he tells them that they've got to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. He's just, he is the rock of offense. And somewhere along the way, as God begins a work in your life, there is an opportunity more than you imagine for you to be offended and to, be, and to put up the no entry signs. And we've got to guard our hearts and say, Holy Spirit, you are God. You can do whatever you want in my life. And that leads me to my response. And I'm going to just touch on three things. And they're not in, in order of importance because God might work these things differently in your life. And they're not in chronological order. They're just three things that I think are important in terms of how we need to respond. Number one, we need to ask for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The great passage in Luke 11, verse 10 to 13 says this, For everyone, everyone, for everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if you ask for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Isn't that amazing, eh? Don't have to fear that when we ask God for the Holy Spirit, He's going to give us a scorpion spirit or something like that. We can be confident that in this place, as we open ourselves up and we say, God, I'm hungering and desiring and asking you today for your Holy Spirit, that we will not receive something else. We will receive the Holy Spirit. It's, there's a confidence that we can have, an openness. We can be vulnerable with God. I was... Um, Chatting yesterday, someone I was talking about this guy, this um, psychologist that I've been listening to and reading, and he was talking about what happens when lobsters mate. What a strange thing to talk about. There's a whole thing behind it, yeah. but <laughs> but what what happens? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but what happens with the females? They they actually shed their crust, they they their hard outside when they come to mate with the male. Can you imagine a position of greater vulnerability? There's no prote the only protection they've got is that shell. And she sheds it so that he can come and uh, sow his seed on her. I don't exactly know how um, lobsters do it. There were no diagrams in the book. But anyway, this is what takes place. And I was struck by how vulnerable this place is. And marriage is like that as well. When men and women come together, God calls them to come into a place of extraordinary vulnerability with each other. And that's why... Some of the worst betrayal and hurts take place in marriages. That's why marriages were supposed to be the, the, uh, the place of such profound love and intimacy and care and protection become places of, of hatred where people can get divorced and not even want to see each other anymore because somebody has opened themselves up and they've been betrayed 
and violate it. But the Lord will never betray you and never violate us and never abuse our trust. And so we can come to him and open ourselves completely. But Jesus tells us we have to ask. If we don't ask, we won't receive. It's, 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 we can't just be kind of sitting there going, well, you know, whatever, if he wants to give me the Holy Spirit, it's fine, but I, you know, I'm not going to ask. J. Rodman Williams, who's one of my favorite theologians, says this in his systematic theology about this verse. He says, persistent, unrelenting prayer is a context for the gift of the Holy Spirit. The point of the story in Luke is that God is pleased to give to those who earnestly desire something, otherwise the gift may, be, may mean very little. And friends, part of my encouragement to you is don't, like, okay, well, Rob, we'll have a chance, you can pray for me today, but if I don't receive the Holy Spirit, well then, okay, that's done. I hope that you continue to pray. I hope that if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I hope that you continue to press in and seek the Lord, sometimes by kneeling at the side of your bed or lying on your bed and saying, God, I'm hungry for more of you. I'm asking you to come with your Holy Spirit. So I, I pray that you will continue to come up. You'll continue to invite people to pray of you, that you will be those that are persistent in prayer. Some people say that we actually don't need to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit because when we saved at that point, we received the Spirit. And uh, they might quote um, Acts chapter 10 when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon Cornelius' household. And um, I'm going to put the scripture up there. And uh, what, what's happening is Peter's preaching to these Gentiles. And while he's preaching, their faith reaches out. They actually they believe what he's saying about Jesus and they get saved while they're sitting there. And that's a great reminder that you don't have to wait until the altar call at the end of the meeting when God's doing something during the preaching. You can receive it by faith there while you're sitting there. And um, so they get saved even before they've been invited to receive salvation and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. But this was a unique moment because this was the first time Gentiles were, being, um, were coming to salvation um, in front of the apostles anyway. And because of this incident, when Paul would later come to Jerusalem and talk about what was God was doing amongst the Gentiles, Peter would refer back to this and said the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them even as he was poured out upon us at Pentecost. And if that was the evidence that of, the, of God's new life in us, and this is the evidence of God's new life in the Gentiles, and thank God Peter did that, and thank God he did that, because that's the reason why all of us Gentiles can be sitting here today and are born again. But the testimony of most people, and, and more importantly the testimony of Scripture, is that most often the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that takes place subsequent to our salvation. And I want to read just two scriptures here from Acts. Acts 8 verse 14 to 17 says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And listen to this important verse. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And then later on in Acts 19, verse 2, Paul asked the question of this group that he believed to be believers. It turns out they weren't actually saved. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I think it's a good question. It has to be asked of everyone. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? It's an expectation for every believer that we've received, not just the Holy Spirit that comes upon us as a deposit, because it's clear when Paul writes in Romans 8, for example, he says that if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. And if you have the Spirit, you belong to Christ. So every believer, in that sense, has the Spirit of God. What is Paul talking about when he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the overcoming of the Holy Spirit that is a gift for every one of us. And a friend of mine was talking about this the other day, and he, and, he, and he gave me some language for this that I thought is so useful. You know, the, script, the Scriptures are not a user manual. We're so easy if God had kind of just done it in point form. So, like, one point, this is 1.1, Jesus is God. 1.2, God is one and God is three. 1.3, the Holy Spirit is God. 1.3.1, you need the Holy Spirit. 1.3.1.1, you know what I mean? Then we, okay, okay, we know. Instead, he tells stories, and they write poetry, and they record history, and they letters that are written to churches, and he mentions some two women that are fighting in the church, and this guy must help them not to fight each other. And he talks about this. And in the midst of this beautiful and glorious uh, writings that the Holy Spirit has orchestrated, we have to understand what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and how we live this life out. And, uh, and so sometimes 
We have pictures that are, that are inelegant. They don't tell it perfectly and they can't be overly applied, but they can be helpful to us. And for me, this language is that. And he spoke about the difference between the latent power of the Holy Spirit and the potent power of the Holy Spirit. That when we, receive, when we get saved, we do receive the Holy Spirit. Because Paul tells us that in Romans. In Corinthians it says we have a deposit. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. But the, and the Holy Spirit comes as the person of the Holy Spirit. And he's, we don't get the foot when we're saved, and later on we get the rest of the body. We get Him, the person of the Holy Spirit, coming. But the potential power of the Holy Spirit in us at that point is latent power. And one definition of latent is this, the present and capable, oh, sorry, latent means present and capable of emerging or developing, but not now visible, obvious, or active, or lying dormant or hidden until circumstances are suitable for development or manifestation. But the potent power of God, potent means having great power, influence, or effect. That when we are baptized, the Holy Spirit who's already in us is released to be potent. That power of God is released in our lives. And I've heard of and read testimonies of people that have been ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit um, in one sense before they've received the baptism. They've seen people saved. They've prayed for people who've been healed. They've, 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 um, they've walked in compassion and then been baptized in the Holy Spirit and it just goes to a completely different level. And so it doesn't mean that because we're not yet baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit that we are completely useless, obviously. Um, the, the, the Spirit is in us. He's working in us. He's set us free from the, the Spirit of law and, and, and activate us to the Spirit of life, uh, the, the law of, of the Spirit, which is life in us. But friends, if we're going to walk in what God has called us to, if we are going to live the life that He's called us to, both with the, the fullness of salvation that we get to enjoy, if you want to walk in the fullness of love and joy and peace and the fullness of His righteousness, then we need the Holy Spirit, all of His potent power in us. And if we are going to be His instruments in the world, we need the fullness of that power in us. And so we are called to ask Him for His Holy Spirit. Secondly, we are called to yield to Him um, completely. In Acts 5, verse 32, it says, We are witnesses of these things, and this is what's important, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. Now, I'm absolutely not saying that we've got to go, like we get saved and we've got to go through a discipleship course before we can receive the Holy Spirit. But Jesus did tell the disciples to wait to receive the Holy Spirit. And there was a work of preparation he was doing in their heart. Think of Peter. Before the, the, Jesus was um, uh, arrested and, and crucified, Peter's like, Jesus, I don't care about these other disciples and how they're useless and rubbish, but no matter what happens, I'm there by your side. I'll die with you if I have to. And uh, we know what happens. Um, <laughs> poor Peter. He just, I mean, Jesus says to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Never, never, Lord, this will never happen. And it's exactly what happens. And a, a young servant girl comes to him and says, aren't you one of those that follows Jesus? And in terror, he swears that he's not one of them. I don't know this man. And he looks up at that moment as the rooster crows, and Jesus is looking out the room right at him, and he's utterly broken. He realizes his deficit in himself. And Peter had, had been intent to rely upon his own strength, both to live out his life, his Christian walk, but also to fulfill the ministry that God had for him. And through this process, such a breaking down was taking place and such a surrendering took place. And I spoke yesterday about how Jesus came and made breakfast for the disciples. And he, he wasn't there to feed them food. He was there to restore Peter. And restoring Peter to restore all of the disciples. But there is a surrendering that has to take place in our lives for us to receive the Holy Spirit. It's like we had a prophetic word given to us as a church and the, this lady, I think in a dream, I can't remember exactly how she brought it, it was a dream or a vision. She saw people coming with, their, with buckets, all different container sizes like this, and they were filled with sand. Now, the most useless product you can have in Dubai is sand. We have got sand for Africa. Uh, we have got... We, in fact, my wife's sitting on the runway now. The, the takeoff's delayed because we've got a sandstorm. Sand comes from other countries into Dubai. If you sit on the street corner and say, look, I've got a bucket of sand. Anyone want to buy some sand? People would like, Man, you're like mental. That's the most worthless thing you can have. And the picture is that we fill our life with worthless things. In comparison to the thing that really matters, we fill it with, with, um, with substitutes. We fill it with things that seem to satisfy us. It's like, you know when the mother says to the child, don't eat those sweets because you're going to ruin your appetite. Well, we're feasting on sweets and we're ruining our appetite for Him. 
And the picture was, we need to come and empty out the sand. And as we do, and we lift the buckets, oil just began to fill that bucket and overflow like that. And friends, there's something about yielding that means we come and just say, Lord, I'm putting that aside. I'm putting that aside. I'm putting that aside. Sometimes it's the good thing. Sometimes it's our love for our husband or our wife or our our desire for a spouse or our children or sometimes it's our careers. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's our it's our ministry. Sometimes it's preaching from the front or whatever it is. Those things begin to fill the bucket instead of God. There's this beautiful passage in Jeremiah 20, uh, chapter 2. And he says, you, you've, you've abandoned my fountains. I can't remember the exact language, but you've, you've, you've forsaken the fountains of life and you've built yourself broken systems. And we try to store the glory of God. We don't want to come to the source anymore. We're trying to store it. We've... Like, that testimony we heard 10 years ago, that experience we had 15 years ago, that's going to enough, that's going to keep me going. But the systems are broken and the water's leaking out and we're left empty. And we, need to, we need to come surrender to God again and again. Frank Bartleman, who was um, involved in the Zuzu Seed revivals that took place at the beginning of the last century and was the birth of the modern Pentecostal movement that has seen hundreds of millions come to Christ, said this about the baptism. He said there was no strain or contortions, no struggle in an effort to get the baptism. With me, it was simply a matter of yielding. I wanted to be fully yielded to God. I wanted more of Him. And that was all. That's why we worship, actually. That's why we come together in moments like these. It's, um, I said to our church, you, you spent, we spent all this time away from church reading newspapers and watching news on TV and reading books and playing games and doing this and hearing messages that are so contrary to the message of God. And I get, I get something like 50 hours a year to be able to preach the gospel to you and try and turn our heads again back to God again. It's, he is the most precious thing. Somebody, I think it was Eugene Peterson that said the most difficult thing about pastoral ministry is keeping people alert to the magnificence of their salvation. We just become familiar with it. And so we, we, we sit with, these, with our Bibles, this incredible Word of God, and we go, yeah, I don't think I've got time to read that today. Or we sit with, in, in the presence of God where we should be praying and our minds thinking about the gardening that needs to be done. And what God's calling for is just for us to open our hearts and we can't, I know we can't be in that place all of the time, but we've got to get to that place some of the time where we open ourselves up and we say, God, I surrender. I want you more than anything. And I don't even know how to live this way because I know I drift towards this. But while I've got this clarity, I'm saying to you this morning, Lord, I want you more than anything. I want your spirit in me to reveal you to me. And lastly, we need a thirst to know God more deeply. John 7 verse 37 um, I've got it up on the screen as well because I don't have it in my notes. It says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. What is the requirement to come to him and drink? You've got to be thirsty. You can't be satisfied. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit who had, uh, whom those who believed in were later to receive. There is something about being thirsty for God that He wants from us. He wants us to come to Him and I'm not happy, Lord. There's a spiritual discontent. I'm not satisfied yet. I want more of you. And, it's, and, I, and the Bible does call us to walk in contentment. I'm not stepping out of my, my loud zone here. I'm not disputing that we have, there, there needs to be a, a contentment we have because we receive Christ. But we, remember when Isaiah comes before God in, in Isaiah chapter 6 and uh, the king had just died. It was, the king was his cousin and he was absolutely convinced that, that a revival would come to the nation through his cousin and it hadn't happened and he, and he was heartbroken. And the thing that he depended upon had, had let him down as everything we depend upon other than God will let us down. And he was, he was hopeless and God reveals himself. He opens up the heavens and he saw the, the Lord on his throne, high and lifted up with a train of his robe filling the temple and the, the three living creatures crying, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the God, wants, God wants to bring us to the place where we come to the end of our dependence upon those other things. One of the pictures that God often uses is of the... Of the, the he says, you, you're depending upon Egypt. She is a reed 
a reed. She's not a walking stick. You can't, and when you lead, lean upon her, she will splinter and pierce your hands. And friends, everything we depend upon, other than God, will, splint, will splinter and pierce our hands. But God, we can lean upon. We can rest upon Him. And so we have to be careful that we've not filled our life with substance. I love my wife. I love my children. I love being in ministry. And I've got to be careful that I don't let those things satisfy that part of me that only God can satisfy. And so there needs to be a hunger and a thirst. I read the story about a, a Lutheran pastor um, in his first parish. His name was Erwin, or he still is, I suppose, Erwin French. I don't think he changed his name. And uh, he tells about the time that he's in, this, um, he's in his church. You don't hear too much about massive... You can just hold the quote for a moment. Everyone's reading it before I say it. Just go back one. There we go. Um, you don't hear much about the Spirit of God at work in, in Lutheran churches. Friends, the Spirit of God is at work in every church where there's hunger for Him. And this um, pastor was actually in, in the process of, of doing communion. He was handing out the elements of the bread. And let's read it together. He says this, How could a man think he was passing out the bread of life every Sunday and still remain so utterly hungry himself? I was empty and I knew it. Friends, that is the the best possible place that we can come to, to know that without the fullness of the Spirit, we are empty. This was the end of the line. Then all at once, the voice seemed to come from nowhere and everywhere. The gift is already yours. Reach out and take it. And he says in his book that he stretched out his hands towards the altar with his palms up, his jaw tightening and his mouth open. And he continues to write, it says, in an instant, there was a sudden shift of dimensions and God became real. A spirit of pure love pervaded the church and drenched me like rain. He was beating in my heart, flowing through my blood, breathing in my lungs and thinking in my brain. Every cell in my body, every nerve tingled with the fire of His presence. God wants us to be hungry and thirsty for Him. He wants us to be yielded for Him. And He wants us to ask for the infilling of His Holy Spirit. And uh, if that's the right with Vessi, that's exactly what I'd like us to do this morning, right now, um, in the time that remains. So maybe if uh, one of the guys could come up and just uh, play the guitar for us. We'll, uh, and if you could stand for a moment. If you're unable to stand, it's fine. You can just stay seated. In fact, take a posture that is comfortable for you right now. If, uh, if standing is that, then stand. If you want to sit, if you want to kneel, just take a posture that is comfortable for you as we wait upon the Lord. So I don't need to prove anything today. It's not my word. I didn't, uh, I didn't write the Bible. He's, uh, he's not my Holy Spirit. I didn't say that I would send him. Jesus is the one that, he, that said he would send him. He's not my father. He's your father. And he longs to touch you uh, through the, the working of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, is the, the vehicle in this age that, that, that is it's the person in the Godhead that God ministers through into our lives right now. And I love the title that Vessi gave this series, The Forgotten God. We can sometimes, in our love and our affection for Jesus and our, and our ability to relate to him, we can find it difficult to relate to this person called the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He is God. And we want to invite Him to come this morning and to fill our lives. And so, if you don't mind closing your eyes for a moment, and maybe you can open your hands up before you or something, just in a posture of openness and yieldedness and this readiness to receive. Holy Spirit, we love you. We're so grateful that Jesus promised he would not lead us, leave us alone when he left, but that he would send another counselor, that he would send you, Holy Spirit, to guide us and lead us, to convict us, to strengthen us, to encourage us. We thank you that there is power that comes when you come into our lives to break down the walls that we've put up to break the chains 
that held us in bondage. His power to open our spiritual eyes to see the Father, to see Him high and lifted up. To understand the nearness of God Emmanuel with us, in us. His power for us to live this life of holiness that you've called us to. Not victims, not slaves to sin, but men and women born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, sons and daughters of Christ. And there's power for us to be your witnesses in this lost and broken and fallen world that so desperately needs this gospel, this King, this Spirit. And so we, we confess today, Holy Spirit, that we are hungry for you. And we ask for you to make us hungrier still. We are thirsty for you and we ask for you to make us thirstier still. We empty out the buckets of sand. We tip them over. And as we do that, Lord God, as we yield ourselves to you, as we surrender every area of our lives, every dream, every desire, every relationship, every accomplishment, as we surrender it to you, we ask you to come and fill us, this vessel, with your Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Spirit of God. Let me just begin to pray. Just welcome the Spirit. Invite Him into your life. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We love you. We're thirsty and hungry for you. And we're asking you to come today to fill us. Because your word says that if we ask, we will receive. If we knock, it will be open to us. If we seek, we will find. And we're asking for you, Holy Spirit. We're asking for you this morning. Come, fill us, O oh Lord. Fill us this morning. Fill our lives to overflow, Lord oh God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, O oh Lord. Whether we eight or eighty-five, whether we're men or women, we black or white, educated or uneducated. Thank you, Lord. It's for everyone. And we invite you this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Come have your way. friends, press in and pray. Just remember, it's the, the persistent prayer. Press in and find.